0: Hello and welcome to this special episode of 128 Sterling. I'm Noah Richler. Today I'd like to share with you a conversation I was fortunate to have with the writers Margaret Atwood and Graham Gibson on the occasion of the House of Anansi's 50th anniversary. Both were published by Anansi early on, and the two were loving partners for more than four decades before Graham died this last September 2019. It's hard to imagine now, but in 1967, when the poet Dennis Lee and writer Dave Godfrey founded the House of Anansi Press in the basement of the Godfrey's House at 671 Spadina Avenue in downtown Toronto, there wasn't much of a Canadian literary scene to speak of. But 1967 was the year of a Canadian coming to the beginning of a cultural assertion of its own, the country seized by the realisation that Canada's heart beat not in London or in Washington, but right here. In Quebec, the seat of Expo 67, the Quiet Revolution saw French Canadians throwing off the shackles of both an overly powerful church and an establishment in business and politics that was mostly Anglophone, all of this leading to a flourishing of the language and literature that were more properly their own. And in Toronto a kindred cultural nationalism was occurring. The youth of the city, a terminus for American draft dodgers, was rejecting the Presbyterian stuffiness and conservatism of a city still operating under a colonial yoke. Spadina Avenue was a strip of blues clubs and speakeasies, and the coffee houses of Yorkville were the seat of a budding alternative hippie scene, Joni Mitchell, just one of the young musicians, playing there. But with the exception of McLeand and Stewart, the possibilities for Canadian writers were less. British and American publishers were dictating the terms and the bold but also cheeky manifesto of the new house was to publish Canadian Writers for Canadians. Anansi, said Dennis Lee, was born of a desperate anger about the fact that we've never taken the country seriously enough to fight for it. Some books so hastily brought to market that even the name Anansi was misspelled on the spine of one. But what did that matter? Headily, purposefully the new ship righted itself and sailed on, its boiler room of an office swiftly becoming what today we'd call a cultural hub, a green room. It was a place of meeting and ferment for writers at the time so marginal to the English-Canadian publishing enterprise that everything was an adventure, and everything the house did could only be new. That included Lee's shrewdly acquiring the rights to reprint the young poet Margaret Atwood's Governor-General's award-winning collection of poetry, The Circle Game, which quickly became a bestseller, and later commissioning Northrop Fry's protege to write Survival, a survey of the habits, idiosyncrasies, and propensities of Canadian writing that's considered essential can reading to this day. And in 1969, Anansi published Graham Gibson's experimental novel Five Legs, which sold an unheard of thousand copies in its first week. Anansi, of course, is the name of the West African trickster spider, and so, no surprise, The press, with a mischievous eye for handy earners, commissioned Mark Satin to write The Manual for Draft-Age Immigrants to Canada and the fledgling lawyer Ruby Clayton to put together, with Paul Copeland, the legal guide, Law, Law, Law. Indigenous writing was not yet in the fold, but Anansi's commitment to the territory was whole, and that would come, a prestigious array of French-Canadian novels in translation also. And, as is true of so many green rooms, The atmosphere of those early years could be that of a hothouse. Relationships falling apart and reforming, notably Margaret Atwood leaving her husband Jim Polk and Graham Gibson, his wife Shirley, for each other. There were suicides attempted and comic but also real. In 1971 Russell Marwa, an Anansi writer from Montreal who'd had an affair with Shirley Gibson, lay down and met his end on the railway tracks outside Port Hope with Nancy's telephone number scrawled on a piece of paper in his pocket and those who knew him, suspecting he'd anticipated her taking the call. Two years later, Canadian Caribbean writer Harold Sonny Ledoux, the author of No Pain Like This Body, would be murdered on a trip home to Trinidad. The cost of being pioneers, of being intrepid, of being young, could be great. But greater still were the rewards. Here are Margaret Atwood and Graham Gibson. I mean, a lot of people got into trouble in
1: these little houses, Uh, whether it be relationships or whether it be some violence. I mean, there's a number of murders. Suicides. And suicides as well. Was
2: there blood on the floor? Yes! (laughs) Did people hate each other? Yes! So I think it was Ellen Godfrey who wrote a murder mystery in which, I think, <laughs> it uh, was, it was. featuring Dennis murdering Shirley or something like that. <laughs> uh, I, I didn't actually read it. I think he, she changed the names and the hair colors, but <laughs> that's pretty clearly <laughs> what it was. Um, so yeah, I, I, but but that happens, that happens in small groups. Um, or let us let us say that the smaller the cheese, the more the mice fight over it. And uh, you, you think, why why was anybody fighting over dedicating your life to doing this without making any money? You know, why was that a thing to want? But it but it was.
1: Even even if you couldn't do it very well. <laughs> yeah. So
0: tell us the story of the typesetter, uh,
2: Walter. So. Walter Walter, the always stoned typesetter from House of a Nancy. Well, this involved our friend Larry Gaynor, now dead, who decided he was going to commit suicide, and he put his—he invited Walter over, in his stoned condition, to take down Larry's will from while well, Larry was dictating it from inside the oven where he was going to put his head he was and turn himself. on the gas, and so. Walter wouldn't be distressed by this. He drew a curtain between himself and Walter. So Walter was sitting at a table writing down what Larry was saying from inside the oven, which was, and to so-and-so I leave, has anybody ever cleaned this oven? It's filthy in here. Walter's writing it down. And then it occurs to Walter that maybe he should do something about this. So he makes his way to the phone, this is before cell phones, and phones the suicide hotline. The suicide hotline says to Walter, Uh, Walter says, my friend is committing suicide. He's got his head in the oven with the gas turned on. And the suicide hotline says, is he still talking? And Walter says, yes. And they say, wait until he stops talking and turn off the gas.
1: And so our friend remained alive. (laughs) Yes, he did. Yes, I
2: think he probably would have anyway. But uh, that was one of the stories about Walter. It was just something he did every once in a while.
0: I need to know about first encounters. Tell me about... Um. How we
2: got, yeah. yeah. okay. we got into the House of Anansi. Okay, we got into the House of Nancy. I did, because I went to college with Dennis Lee, who was the smartest person in the province and got the Prince Edward, I think it was Prince Edward Scholarship, the Prince something or other. Maybe it was the Prince of Wales Scholarship. Sounds better. Uh, so he was very smart and he was in my year of honours English at Victoria College University of Toronto, and we were all dabbling around in various artistic pursuits, such as writing and acting. I was in a play with Dennis, um, and that kind of thing. And
0: what year was
2: this? What year was that? So I went in in 57 and came out in 61, and then... um, I was at a play at Harthouse in probably about 1967 uh, and by that time I had written and published the Circle Game Book of Poems with Contact Press and it had printed about 400 copies and by the time it won the Governor General's award, they were all gone and they didn't do reprints. So it was a poet-run publishing company. It was. Um, Louis Dudek and um, Raymond Souster and Peter Miller, remember him? Mm -hmm. He was part of it. And there was Dennis at the play and he said we're starting a publishing house. Aha, I thought another scheme of Dennis's. (laughs) (laughs) And we want to um, republish The Circle Game. I said, that's fine Dennis. And We've got grants from the Canada Council for Four Writers, and we want them to kick back into the company to help start it up. I said, that's great. And how many copies are you going to print? Remember that the average printing for a book of poetry in these years was 200. He said, well, we thought we'd start at 2,500 copies. You're mad. I said, oh, Dennis, do you really think you can sell those? He said, yes, I do. So that's what they did. and. That was the, one of the launch books of Anansi was the Circle Game in its reprinted House of Anansi edition. And then he said, uh, a little later, we were, it was very informal in those days, so he was sending me people's manuscripts like uh, Michael Ndachi's Billy the Kid and this and that, and then when I was in England in 1970, 71, he said, would you join the board of directors and the editorial board? And I thought, frivolously, why not? It won't take up any time, <laughs> eat my life. Um, so I did. And that's how I became part of the House of a Nancy of that time.
0: Tell me about the topography of Toronto at the time. I mean. The offices of House Vanetti were then on.
2: Oh, I think they were over on Jarvis somewhere. somewhere, somewhere near there. No, they
1: had they were in about three different places. Um, I've forgotten exactly. I mean, yeah, which which one room. was? One was on, on Jarvis Street. Uh, one was on Young Street on Bluer, in behind there.
2: In behind
0: there, exactly. In, in, behind, in behind, there. behind there. It just kept
1: moving around. At that
0: description point. for but where so are it was you, located. Are you on your bicycle, delivering your manuscript to the various offices. The University of Toronto is not far. I mean, I, I think it's important to convey to anyone listening today in the busy city yeah. that it was like a. Um,
2: smaller. Well, smaller.
0: And yeah. What I'm interested in is. Cheaper. Well, cheaper, but also was it fun to go to a Nancy and just hang about?
1: No. <laughs> no, 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 That, no, that isn't true. That isn't true. true. Okay. We had, we had, but uh, Friday nights, mm. all kinds of people came to that. Did all kinds. Okay. Of, I think you were away, or, or probably or yeah. We, I, I uh, know we
2: used to have board meetings And there must, have been, of must of have been
1: twenty-five people who would be in in the house there, uh, but and then it just sort of petered out.
2: Was that Dave Godfrey's house? Pardon? Was it Dave Godfrey's house? I think it was. Yes, it probably was. It was.
1: Yeah. yeah. Okay. but he but he was in he was in Africa or wherever he was maybe at that it point. was before he went to Africa so i wasn't there at the yeah. time at but all. the interesting thing about it that stage is he he'd gone o- over to to i guess africa and told dennis that dennis couldn't get any have any books
2: he couldn't inquire any, any they had had, yeah. had,
1: had had a disagreement of some kind uh, and and um, he didn't pay any attention to it at all of course uh,
0: and who was in the the offices at of those days? Um, Dennis told me that there was a fellow who was literally sleeping by the furnace and writing his manuscript.
2: I think that was Doug Featherling. It was Doug Featherly. George Featherling. Doug, it Doug was now Doug. George. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now head of the Writers' Union, but he's got he wrote a memoir called um, "Travels by Night," in which I think he describes that cellar.
1: Yeah, there were a whole lot of people came and went, and and ap- after my book came out. Suddenly, Dennis was doing writers all over the place about them, and I mean, when when suddenly you have you have seven novels published in one day by House of Anansi at that point. I mean, really interesting things are happening, and there was a terrific response everywhere. And at the other thing that was interesting at that point, along Bloor Street, I think either on Bloor Street or near Bloor Street, there were about. Five or six bookstores.
2: Yeah, it was very bookstore-heavy. Yeah, it was an no?
1: it was, it was extraordinary, and what was happening there, and I was I was very fortunate with it, every one of them had piles of my my first novel.
0: But your experience is quite emblematic of what was the situation for writers, and why I suppose Nancy flourished fairly immediately. That you would take your book to. Um, essentially, an English publisher here and an American publisher That's right. here. That's right. And if Jack McClelland turned it, you down, um,
1: that was it. Yeah, that that, was that, that, that really was it. I, uh, no, there were a couple of other ones, smaller ones, and, um, right across the country. All of that stuff was beginning to happen at that point. They were in Newfoundland. They were in the, in the West Coast. They were they, there. There was small publishers who were doing exactly what a Nancy was, but not because, as early. No, not yeah. But Nancy was there very early. Uh, and, and also, it had the, it had the good fortune of being in Toronto, so there was a lot of support in those things. But nevertheless, this was going on done out, out of nowhere, you know.
0: What was the attitude after a season or two or a few of the established? larger publishers, was it helpful, or or did they pay any attention, or not at
2: all? Well, the media paid attention because it was a a time of ferment, and as you have often said, the Expo 67 had given people a new sense of confidence in themselves. Absolutely. And because it had been so difficult to publish particularly fiction, in the earlier part of the 60s, there was a backlog of people who had manuscripts that they hadn't been able to play, so there was no shortage of stuff to publish. All of a sudden, there were places to publish it. Uh, So uh, if you think of the kind of explosion that takes place when new platforms appear, such as now in film and television, you've got the streamed series that have become so popular. All of a sudden, there's a place for material that would have been impossible before. And Nancy was particularly interested in Young and Experimental, was, which was exactly the kind of thing that the larger publishers were scared we're not, of we're taking because they thought they couldn't sell
1: it. But the other thing that was very important is that both the Canada Council and the, and the, and the Ontario Arts, Council, uh, C- Arts yeah. Council were terrific. They really were. I mean, that when, when we got towards the Union... Gave the money to bring people across the country, uh, and so the country was beginning to recognize that a hell of a lot of interesting stuff was happening in the country, uh, and and books and the books were selling.
0: Did Jack McCollin come around and say this is a good thing? I'm oh, he was curious. always annoyed.
2: <laughs> so, yeah. What did he say? He was always annoyed. <laughs> he thought he should be the Canadian publisher. I mean, he was a wonderful person and a great innovator and a terrific publicist but he had a, another side which was not so generous. Uh, so I think he always was sort of annoyed with these young upstarts. As you can see, that one might be, no, he, 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 had, he. he had made his name as the Canadian publisher and he'd launched a number of important careers such as Mordecai Richler's and Margaret Lawrence. And that's how he saw, him. And, and of course, Irving Leighton, Purdy. Um, Leonard Cohen, the big poets of that time. So he he thought of these younger, um, I mean, Dennis, Dennis at that time was not shy about saying radical things about the failings of larger publishers.
1: How can we put this? <laughs> the the other interesting thing about him at that point, when my book was published, he was at the dinner, and he said, he congratulated me for for the novel, uh, and he said I had to, I had to get fire two people because uh, uh, they they let this your book go, and and I said no no that wasn't it, I said you did it, but he was an arrogant, and I think in some strange way a vulnerable man. I I'd, I'd been working on a novel about nine years. Uh, I, was at, uh, I, I was at the. the the, the roof of the Park Plaza, where we, we went every Friday night for several years. Uh, and there were all kinds of writers there, and there, and there were a lot of journalists. Um, and I'd been waiting for M- M- McClellan Stewart to do something about my novel. They, they'd had it for some time and said they were going to use it, and they'd introduced me all over the place. One evening, Jack was there with somebody else, and they were talking. He said, well, go over and t- 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 tell him that you want to know what's happening here. I said, no, I won't do that. I can't do that. And I, I had a couple of drinks, and he said, well, go on over and, and do it. So I went over and I said, hello, Jack. Uh, I'm just wondering when when my novel's going to be uh, published. It's been almost uh, a year and a half now. Uh, my, my, my novel, uh, Five Legs. And it turned out he was, he was talking to a, a, an important... A journalist from New York was who was talking about the very important work that Jack was doing, and so he looked at me and said, you, "You'll have, you'll 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 know on Monday," and 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 on Monday, the book had been returned to me, and so I then went to to a, to another publisher. That, that I'd had almost two years with that waiting for it. And then I went, I went to, to uh, another, it was an English house. I've forgotten the name of it. Macmillan. Macmillan, it was yeah, Macmillan. Yeah. And, and I went in there, and, and uh, they, they only kept it for, for about three months. And, and uh, I, I, I was told by one of the people in there that they couldn't afford it. Uh, the only way they could have published my book was if I, if I, if I got a, a very rich wife, wife who would pay <laughs> for it. <laughs> because they're not going to pay for it, so I then I went I went to an American one, I, you know, going all the way, and the amazing thing was, is that they gave me lunch, Unlike and told Arbor's. me why, no. and told me why, in fact, they couldn't publish it, and the reason that they couldn't publish it, they said, um, is that New York wouldn't let them. Uh, there was the wrong kind of book for, for American publishers. So then I was without, without anything. I think it was George Jonas who sent you to a Nancy. It was, it? It was, yeah. it was it, after a while, it was, yeah, him. Uh, and, and I went to see Dennis. <laughs> and I, I got my little book. I only had one copy of the bloody thing. Just uh, a
0: big set of manuscript pages. Yeah, 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 the, yeah the whole thing. Yeah. And I went
1: and, I, and I, I met, and he was up on a ladder. He was up on the ladder doing something with a, with a window, which looked unusual, um, and he came down, and uh, he looked at the book, and said he'd be in touch with me. And I wa- and I walked home with not a hell of a lot of hope. Uh, and and he decided he want- he wanted to take it, uh, and and then the editing all began, and that was it. And it was the first. It was the first novel that that that, that, that they had.
2: And the typesetting was done at. Um Rochdale. That oh, that's right. Rochdale. It was at, at the time of Dennis's involvement with Rochdale before all of the drug sellers got in there and turned it into a toxic heap. set of he, people, and they—they they, the students at Rochdale.
1: Yeah, typeset. They all—they were not paid or anything. I mean, the, the astonishing thing was what what my first book did. I mean, I I don't know how many people read that finally, but but nevertheless, it had an extraordinary impact.
2: It had a lot of sales. It was out selling Valley of the Dolls for a couple of weeks. Yeah, it really did. (laughs) Did you first meet Graham uh, or? No, I met Graham first at a party given for Milton Acorn in Grossman's Tavern. Because Milton Acorn, whom we now know was bipolar but did not know then, was very depressed because Gwendolyn McEwen, his ex-wife, had just won the Governor General's Award. So to jolly up Milton we made up an award called the People's Poets Award and we presented it to him at this party in Grossman's Tavern to which I was wearing a mini dress of some kind of crochet work with large wooden buttons. <laughs> That's how I remember these things. And I had read. I didn't notice that, actually. <laughs> no, I <know> you didn't. <laughs> Graham uh, and I had both been shortlisted for the Governor General's Award that year, and neither of us had won it uh, because Robert Croach had won it for the Stud Horseman. But I thought that Graham's book should have won it because it was very. Uh, experimental, groundbreaking, and funny. And I said that to him at that party, and then I went to England. Uh, so it being 1969, it was The Edible Woman. So this party must have happened in 1970 at some point.
1: I was quite struck by that when I discovered that she... she the Lady in the Wooden Box. You
2: know, I, yeah, had yeah. No, I had no uh, underhanded agenda. That's just what I
1: thought. I agreed, actually. <laughs> yes, I'm sure you did. I'm sure you did. I didn't say it. <laughs>
2: yeah, he did not then say to no, me, oh, no, yours <laughs> should have won. He didn't actually say that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then after England?
2: Well, well after England, well, I've spent a year in, in England, France, and Italy writing uh, surfacing. And then that was when Dennis had persuaded me to be on the editorial board of the Nancy, on Unseen. So I came back from, from doing that, and I was teaching at York University. I was, I, was a, um, I was taking Eli Mandel's sabbatical year for him, so it wasn't a permanent job. It was just that one year. And it was the confluence of that when I was teaching half of this Canadian literature course, the English half. Um, that we cooked up um, survival, as I've described, the VD of Canadian literature to make some cash for our fledgling publishing company.
1: What happened at that point uh, was I was taking all the photographs of, 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 the, of the people at, at Nancy and, and I, I took, took uh, photos of, of Peggy And I was was quite struck by her. Uh, And things progressed from there. Thank you. I've always
2: wandered through life without being very aware of these things.
1: No, she still hasn't made up her mind. No, I
0: haven't. (laughs) It was a bit like the green room of a theory company, too. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. No, absolutely. no, no absolutely. kidding, it was.
1: And there were a lot of people around the corners of these things who were part of it, wanted to be part of it, but they didn't really know how, uh, what, what they you could know,
2: do. And let, it, let us also factor in that uh, now, with all these creative writing schools and professional uh, advice and infrastructure and publishing companies looking for new writers, etc., cetera. Et cetera it's, it's a more respectable type of thing to say that you're interested in being a writer. Nobody except your parents possibly uh, <laughs> run screaming out the door. Uh, but at that time, it was really quite a weird thing to want to do this. There had been an older generation, and I think your dad was part of that and Margaret Lawrence, who had, who had been able to go to countries where being a writer was an acceptable thing to be. But that was just beginning to happen in yeah, that's in absolute. Canada at that time, and not only did you get a lot of interviewers who took the took the view that that you were a freak uh, but some some people who might have not who might not have been as stable as they would have been had they had this infrastructure and people to go to and a support I think group that's true yeah and a view by society that this was not just. An outré, weird thing to be doing. Um, I, I, I think that it was those people who <laughs> who uh, had a lot of self-confidence problems, like what am I doing? Who am I? Maybe I really am as weird as everybody thinks I am, and that kind of thing.
0: Hmm. It was? Um, I mean, it must have been a heady time. But it's a smaller community, yeah, but we, been... we were
2: kids. You know, we, we didn't think this is a heady time. <laughs> you don't. Unless it's some sort of huge riot or march or something. Uh, but you don't think that working for a little
1: publishing company is a heady time, particularly? I mean, I'm, I'm not so sure about that. Did you uh, think it was a heady time? I, I, what, what I what, what I felt, and I think with the most of the people who I was associated with, some of the other pre- uh, p- uh, p- small presses, um, that, that that our country was changing. That, that 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 things were happening that that were inconceivable uh, three years earlier, uh, and 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 we we took ourselves very seriously at least at least most of I think did, uh, because because we felt the country was changing and we were lucky enough to be there to to get along with it, and I, and I think that 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 period, I think set set the next. How many years are still going on?
0: I I, I think about it as a um, particularly uh, fecund period in, mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. Canadian cultural history, and wonder what it would must have been like to be in Toronto, terribly Presbyterian on the one hand, but uh, the city in which American Draft Dodgers are, were, are spilling in, in mm-hmm. which there are still along, uh, speakeasies mm-hmm. along Spadina,
1: yeah.
0: in which uh, one eye must have been cast to Quebec, and that there are, through all these actions, there was a sort of um, a discovery of what's here, yeah. um, and a sense of possibility. That yeah. the, was yeah. there not that amongst?
2: Oh, oh, I think so. But but if you think of it as whoopee, uh, <laughs> is this ever fun? Um, that wasn't quite the feeling. No, I don't head. think the word I, was fun. I, no, no, I thought, does this no. ever work? No. I mean, is this ever a lot of work? Because it was sweat equity by and large. We we couldn't pay people for editorial work, and so on and so forth. And um, we had all people who knew each other had been inter-editing each other's work anyway. Um, So this time you could inter-edit it and then maybe get it published. So among the things that I did at that period, Bill Bissett had never had a quotes real book. And I took this stack of things that he had produced, blue ointment, press, and so forth, and I got the best
1: things out of them. That was a lot of work. <laughs> it really was. I mean, a lot of people got into trouble with them uh, in these little houses, uh, w- whether it be relationships or whether it be some violence. I mean, there's a number of murders,
2: suicides there were, some and suicide suicides effect. as well. I
1: mean, there, there was a lot. There was a lot of of that kind of obviously very negative uh, presence to, De- within all of that. Desperate
2: presence. Yeah, people desperate. Got, yeah. People felt. It was very intense, God knows. They were all attracted to Dennis, so I think he burned out pretty quickly because not only was he editing, but he was dealing with all the phone calls in the middle of the night, and
1: what am I going to do? Yeah.
0: Well, he told me the story of uh, Russell 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 Marlock.
1: Very interesting writer, but really a very weird man.
2: So I remember that very clearly because at that point, I was giving a Halloween party for my sister. His birthday is on October 30th, (laughs) and it happened right about then, and and Dennis turned up, and he wasn't in costume, and I said, Dennis, what, you know, what are you supposed to be? He said, I'm a wasp. (laughs) 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 But it was right about then that, that that happened. Yeah. And yeah. that was pretty devastating. You you were very involved in that. I certainly was of I think course. I think Dennis also had to go down and identify.
1: Yeah. So he offered was, to do it actually. Yeah. ADN. So,
2: so yeah. all of this. Um,
1: the only thing in his pocket was 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 my my wife's. Address. Yeah.
2: So, so when I say it wasn't whoopee, I think maybe that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Well, that oh, that's question dark.
1: No, that, going there, on. There, there was a great darkness in it, but but there was also a huge energy as well. I mean, that, that, they think they go together, and sometimes.
0: What was the great darkness? Was that just a matter of the age like, would, that might have occurred if you were working in a clothing factory, or was I, something to
1: do with I, the, I, I think I think part of it was that, that there was, a, was there a lot of people, uh, things didn't happen for their writing, or, or, that, uh, or that a lot of people who came into it came in with, with, with a huge energy but not much talent, uh, or, or, or were not recognized in some way, uh, and so much was expected at that point.
0: Yeah. You must, and Nancy must have needed to have some friends amongst the publishers. I'm trying to understand how this. be. Dennis and Dave can say, "I'm starting a yeah. house." What's their knowledge of printing? What's their knowledge of distribution? No, no, they made
2: it all up, and they, I don't think they got a lot of help from other publishers. No, I
1: don't think so either. They, they got help. Jack, Jack from, certainly didn't from do From the anything. media. And, uh, and when the, and when we when we ended up with with the, with the Canadian Writers' Organization, he didn't join it.
0: The media at that time would have been Bill French the of the
1: and mail yep. he was wonderful he was, wonderful. was wonderful killed our dogs yep yep. Uh, also Doug Marshall. yep
2: Barry Callahan um, there were a number of, of people who were and, and all across the country
1: uh, there, there were there were there were uh, I've forgotten most of who, who we were but but uh, it was all happening across the country to one way or another oh, on whatever. the prairies and everywhere.
0: What, what was the relationship with um, Quebec, where there was uh-huh. a s- a flourishing at the same time?
2: The Par- parallel, I would say, but Anansi did. They were they were early on the ground from uh, in doing translations of Quebec writers.
0: Yeah, but was there a kinship across the board, or did we pay
2: we attention? Had, well we had all um, had the same experience of being viewed as. Um, pipsqueak colonial writers in relation to the real places, which would be Paris, New York, and, and London. So in the 60s, um, they had the same backlog of writers who couldn't get published that, that we did. And like us, people, if you wanted to get published, you had to go outside the country. Uh, so very very similar.
1: But the, when, 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 for example, when we fo- formed the union, when the next... Is, is that we got together? A bunch of us got together with Quebec writers and with 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 the uh, uh, our, our own side, and they wouldn't join. They couldn't join because it was the, it was a, a Canadian union.
2: But that uh, separatism had since appeared. It no, appeared no. But after I know, yeah, that's yeah. true.
1: But at that point, we 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 met in, in, in Quebec. We went down, and they, and they were all there. All the all the really good ones, uh, and they all and they all said how sad they were that they couldn't do it. It was very interesting, uh, and 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 we had a wonderful time. We ate and drank the whole thing, and, and they couldn't do it because it was Canadian. Yeah, you had the name, Canada. and so they had their organization, yeah. and we had ours. And and, and 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 it turned out it wasn't there was no problem eventually, but but there was a sadness, on both sides.
2: And there was also the perpetual problem of how does a small. Um, How does a small publishing company dedicated mostly to poetry and experimental fiction, how do you make money? How do you pay the bills? Because Nancy was not getting honking huge grants from the Canada Council. And that's why they did these early, you know, idiot books. They did early idiot books. They weren't called that. But they did the one called Law, 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 which was how to do your own divorce and write your own will. And then they did VD, which was the first venereal disease book. Got as far as warts, yeah, that's but right. not as far as um, AIDS. We didn't know about that yet, and that's and, why and, I did and, survival. And, and
1: and the and the war the war, uh, American yeah, the came, American draft dodgers, and they sold thousands and that, and that thousands sold of books.
2: A lot of books, mostly south of the border. Yeah, um, so it was books like that that paid the bills, and that's why I did survival because there wasn't one that filled a niche. And it was originally just going to be a hundred-page sort of draft Dodger's handbook about Canadian literature, <laughs> and Dennis was the editor, and he really, he really made me make it bigger and and more nuanced.
1: And that was very good.
2: And that was a good thing he did. Not, but not maybe not for you, but no, it was <laughs> for the rest of us. <laughs> yeah, well, it was it was very good that he did that. Absolutely. And it was a team effort in that uh, other people pulled together the references and. Uh, the index and all of those kinds of things. And it was a, it was a very quick um, turnaround. I think it took maybe four months to put that thing together.
0: But who came to who and said? Uh, you
2: know. I was on the editorial board. So you sat on the editorial board in the Red Lion Tavern and everybody tore out their hair and said, what are we gonna do? <laughs> are we gonna pay the bills? We don't have any money um, and things like that. And I said, because I'd been teaching this course at York University, I'll do a book about um, Canadian literature for the average reader, you know, not an academic book, not a yep. book of theory, but just what is there because, because nobody knew. Uh, and if you look at the original one, you can see part of it is books you could actually buy that were still in print. And the others were these classics that, that did exist, but you couldn't buy them because there weren't any um, paperback editions of them. So that's how we put it together. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were originally going to do an anthology of excerpts from things, but that was too expensive, as usual. And then we were going to, you know, I was, I was thinking of putting some things in that I uh, hadn't covered in the first one, but that was too expensive. It, it really had to do a lot with money. I'm but it, that book did ultimately make a lot of money for them because Absolutely. it ended up selling, I think, 100,000 copies.
0: And how did the title come about, Survival?
2: Oh, I made it up. <laughs> but
0: it
2: was yours. <laughs> of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it was quite a good cover. It was arresting. Um it had yeah. a great impact. You know. Yeah, I think I made it up. I'd have to go back into the manuscripts, but I'm pretty sure that that's where it came from because it was my central theory that... That uh, Canadian literature was different from, and that was the main thing I was trying to prove. It was different from English, and it was different from American. Yeah. As why would it not be? But that was not self-evident at the time. At the time, people said, uh, "Well, there isn't any Canadian literature because it wasn't were taught in schools. That. Nobody they knew about were doing it." That. Yeah. And or they would say, "Well, there is some, but it's second-rate. It was just a pale imitation of." So, I was writing it to set out to demonstrate that that was not so, that it was different, and why would it not be different? Different history, different uh, geography, different geology, um, different.
0: One of the people saying there is some, but it's second rate, was your teacher of yours, was Martha Fry.
2: Oh, but he had said that some years earlier. No, I don't think he did. If you look at his book of essays called *The Bush Garden*, he had been writing about this stuff for years, and I don't think he would have bothered uh, writing about it for years unless he thought there was something to write about.
1: That's right. That's right. His
0: aesthetic um, standards were still uh, had a source that was elsewhere.
2: Nah, take a look. Uh Uh, You have. Well, maybe I should do that again. I, I think he tried his best to make a case for some of this stuff, but he was writing about it mostly in the early 60s, when, franchement, as I have said, there wasn't a lot to go on. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. but it would, I would say it, that even he, but by he 70... he did do the stuff that was there.
2: Yeah, yeah he did but, what and was And a lot there. of other
1: people would not have done so.
0: And who convinced him to publish for the Nancy?
2: Probably Dennis.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: It must have no, been... No, he Dennis. was
1: very interested in a Nancy. And 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 the other, presumably, because he, he knew everyone at the end of each year.
2: So there's this guy at Canadian Forum who was also very uh, key to fostering the Canadian mm-hmm. um, writing of the time. That would have been Milton Wilson. Mm-hmm. Milton mm-hmm. Wilson. Mm-hmm. R- Bob Fulford, was, uh, not Bob, Bob Weaver was absolutely key with his radio show Anthology at the CBC. And he, he yeah, was, he was... He was, was essential really to
1: that whole time.
2: Cultural glue, because yeah, he, he traveled really all over the place, knew everybody. Remember, this was a time when writers didn't know one another. Yeah. The poets did more, but the novelists,:
1: No didn't know each other.: didn't
2: know all. each other at all. Well, there weren't any chains yet, except yeah. for Coles.. Yeah. That was it. And uh, yes, Beth Appledorn had the Longhouse bookstore, which specialized in Canadian books, but just to contrast between 1960 and 1970. So, 1960, there were five novels published in English Canada um, from within the country, five in the whole year, 20 books of poetry, and that included uh, mimeographed (laughs) self-published. So, that's either 60 or 61. You can see it all by getting the summer edition of the University of Toronto quarterly, which in those days reviewed all of the Canadian books published uh, in the year. you could do that by the one person so few few. Uh, by 1970 it was an entirely different picture and by 1980 it was it was radically different so it was in the 70s that the um, branch plants came in because they they saw that there was a a there 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 was something there but writing survival in 72 I realized now that I missed I missed some things that we just were never told about and didn't know about and because there, was, there were no um, paperback outlets for Canadian books no. early on, a book would be published in hardback and then it would just vanish, you didn't know. Uh, so I missed the fact that two huge bestsellers of the forties, Gwethlin Graham's Earth and High Heaven, an international bestseller, not published in Canada, published in the States, um, but sold massively, number one on the New York Times bestseller list. And the other one was the Tin Flute, Gabriel Roy. Do you know what the first printing for that thing was in the States? was 700,000 copies, because those were the days of the Literary Guild. And if your book was the main selection for that, that's how many you could print first go, go off. And did we know about that in 19... 19- Seventy-two. No, we didn't. That no. that history had just vanished. Um, so that's why it's not in my. <laughs> that's why it's not in my book. And there are a number of other things like that that we just didn't know about. Then, and it was very hard to find out about them. There was no Wikipedia. So unless you knew what you were looking for. You just didn't know. Which
0: is why I was asking if socially, you know, Nancy was important. I mean, you talk about, yep. you, you now reveal that the editorial board yeah. meetings yeah. happened at the Red Lion. <laughs> um, was it a place to gather? When I had a motorbike in London, I went down to the mechanic because that's where everybody came together on a Saturday yeah. morning. Yeah. Oh, it was a place through which you could meet other writers? I, th- I, th-
1: I think it was mostly, w- w- I mean, th- there were, there were, I, right, at the, with along with uh, Nancy, I think there were at least two other houses or Conches. three houses, yeah, yeah, uh, in in Toronto, uh, and and they they didn't necessarily really like each other. <laughs> um, and and I think it's d- defensive, you know, and, and, and probably natural, um, but at the same at the same time. Uh, When other things started being developed, moving towards the union, for example, uh, there there was a coming together beyond the struggles to be better than the other publisher, you know, uh, because other things were happening. I think there were about three different organizations were were started. Uh, It
2: it is the usual thing that Dennis suddenly became this really powerful editor. And as soon as that happens in a group of people where nobody has been particularly powerful, you get resented.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you mind if I take you back to the Russell Marrow? Um, yes. Are you comfortable saying oh, yeah. how your your ex-wife felt? I mean, as I understand it, that single piece of paper in the pocket yeah. uh, was, or at least Dennis suggested that he did that so that...
1: Um, Surely uh, would Shirley, get the call. Uh, yeah. So that yeah.
0: would get the call. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to write that.
1: That was... He was... the. One, he was a very interesting... I found him a really interesting writer. Um, uh, whether, whether he was ever going to do anything else after that, I don't know. But I, I, that was a very striking book at the time. Um, and and uh, Shirley and he got together very successfully in a, rather, in a, in a very hard way. Um, and I don't know what, what would have happened if he hadn't killed himself. But he killed himself because, he, I think, he knew he wasn't going to have her.
2: She wasn't going to leave the kids. That's what it amounted to. I said it must
0: be traumatic even uh, to, to have someone design a situation where you're the person. Yeah, that's
2: right. It threw her into a big depression. This, Russell is not the only one. No,
1: he's not the only one at all. There's
2: one butler. Remember him? Yeah. You don't? He was uh, a very
1: interesting guy. Boy, Yeah, he, he killed
2: was. himself as well.
1: He killed himself. Uh, I, 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 think, I think there are probably LaDue about they're probably. murdered who killed themselves. Oh. Um no it it, it there there, there was, I was mean, what you were saying at the beginning there was there was a very hard under undertone in in a lot of that among a certain number of people
0: was Sonny Ludus murder solved?
2: Oh well we think it, it was It was, was the a very relative. male relatives.
1: And he knew he, he knew he was going to be killed when he went down there.
2: Male relatives had killed him because they wanted the land down there.
1: They want yeah. And he he said. I remember when he left. He he shook hands with me. and He said, "I won't be coming back." They were they were they were they're harassing. Uh, they mother. were harassing her mother. His mother is yeah. his mother.
2: And isn't that all prefigured in the novel? Sonny's. Yeah, in that in that. It's pretty dark. Not yesterday's, but the f- the first novel. Yeah, no pain like no this pain body. Like body. God, no. it's a wonderful oh, it's story. very but it's dark, in, but it's in the novel that somebody gets killed?
1: No, that, that, that was a that was a, His presence was, was astonishing because the, the, the novel itself, it, it's, the nature of it and the power of it, that was in him as well. It clearly was in
0: him. If I inquire, I'm not being prurient so much as trying to understand what happens in the life of a, a small company when something traumatic like that occurs. I mean, was there a period where People don't come into the office, where things didn't operate so smoothly, or, or
2: people rally round. You know, obviously, yeah, oh yeah, absolutely, rally round.
1: So many things were changing at that time uh, on all kinds of all different kinds of levels. So, so when 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 the suicide in one part of the country and another another among the writers, or or, or d- uh, people beating the hell out of their wife or whatever it is, um, that all became part of what was going on. So he he wasn't the only one there, you know, nor nor was the. The, the, the impact of his death, the only one was around, because there is there a, a whole lot of hard, hard times.
2: So remember what, when this was. It was uh, 69, 70, 71, uh, around there. So right after the summer of love, right into the big drug culture going on, right into the moment when uh, women's movement hit, and a lot of people... It's marriages broke up. In fact, it was like an explosion. Everything, the walls were just covered with exploded marriages. All of a sudden, and and
1: and, 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 and Americans pouring up from Americans the, pouring the, up escaping from escaping and finding where they the, could do what they. And Nancy had all kinds of would come in there and stay, and then drift off somewhere else.
2: Because they had published the draft do- Dodger's yeah, Handbook, right. they of course were stop number one. What the, can you do? Help me. I don't yeah, have any money. That's right, that's can I right. sleep in your cellar?
1: So it was. It was a very
0: energetic time. Tell
2: me about uh,
0: Marion Engel's brief time, or how long she was with the Nazi for about
2: bit. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Marion, well, she became a great friend and absolutely hugely important in getting public lending right for writers absolutely. from from libraries. Almosters, by she herself. And, and and Andy Schroeder, Andrea Schroeder. Yeah. Um, she again. She had written a novel called. Oh, the first time. one, her her title for it was Sarah Bastard's Notebook, but they wouldn't let her call it call it, it. No Clouds of Glory. No clouds. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Called, so she had published that with a regular publisher. I think it might have been Macmillan or something, and then they wouldn't take her second one, which was too much about pregnancy for them. That in those days, in the seventies in the later seventies, there was a little spate of what you might call the gynecological romance, but we, we weren't there yet. We weren't there yet with the Honeyman Festival. So and Nancy took it on and uh, published it, and I think that's how we came to know her. Yeah. And she became really a friend. Very, very, very close to us, she's yeah. she, she was very smart yeah, yeah. and funny. And and, Bear, and and unhappy. Bear came out of a... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it came out of a project we were going to do at the Writers Union, which was going to be. Do you remember um, <laughs> that book called Naked Came the Stranger, yeah. which a bunch of writers in the states put together to illustrate the fact that you could, as long you could, you could take a, a tasteless book with a lot of sex in it and make it a bestseller. And so they all contributed chapters to it, and it was a tasteless book with a lot of sex in it, and they made it a bestseller. And then they revealed that they were, that wasn't a real person and that they'd done it as a prank. So we were going to do a book <laughs> of pornography. The Writers' Union was going to do a book of pornography. And do it as a fundraiser, because of course the Writers' Union, as usual, didn't have enough money. So we undertook <laughs> to write these things, and the snag was that we weren't any good at it. Oh, uh, <laughs> no, mine is just a piece of satire, I'm sorry to say. And the people who tried to do real ones, um, they sucked at it. <laughs> so that fell apart, but Marion started writing one in which somebody has sex with a bear. That was going to be her piece. And then she really got interested in it, and bear came out of that. And the other Marion Engel story connected with it is that I somehow ended up babysitting the twins, so that she could put some time in on her novel. Little did I know that this was going to be a 24-hour <laughs> day job because the male twin was, uh, what was the term, hyperactive or um, something like attention deficit disorder or something, um, but very smart. So he was just, you know, I had to work very hard to keep one jump ahead of him, and I had been a summer camp counselor. <laughs> uh, but I used up all of those tricks in about two minutes. Had to think up more. Anyway, I did that, and, and out came Bear, which has recently had a revival. Marion Engel became a great friend.
0: But uh, Marion Engel took Bear elsewhere. She
2: didn't as one would, you know, as one would, because Nancy, as usual, couldn't pay up to the no, standard no. of
1: actually she uh, had to make a living she had to make a living yeah
2: so that happened to announcing quite a bit yep yeah. and even with books that they had put editorial work into people would then realize that now they had something and they would take it elsewhere
0: you were on the editorial board did, did things like foreign rights ever come into the conversation
2: no no of course not it was it was very small so foreign rights might include maybe we can sell this in the states on the other hand maybe not. But There weren't any agents, that's the other thing you have to realize. There were no agents in Canada. I think there was somebody who did the odd, she did sort of speaking engagements. Um, but the agents, the agents were in other countries, so much so that when my American, by that time, publisher said to me, you need an agent, I said, no I don't. He said, yes you do. I said, what do I need an agent for? Nobody in Canada has an agent well, you need an agent. No, I don't. Yes, you do. Uh, so then he said, well, if you ever do need one, have I got the agent for you. And
0: um, was there a sense of the stages, and I'll wrap up in a bit, the stages of um, an Etsy? I mean, we're in a startup with a degree of success. There might be a change in the character which upsets some. Did you? Was there a sort of Well, we got aspect? kicked
2: out of it. I'm sorry? We got kicked out. So we don't know. Yeah. Over... Past, I think, 1972, it's no good asking us. What
0: do you mean But you got kicked out?
2: We just got kicked out. Yes.
0: We did the kicking. Surely.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I, for a while I was running the poetry um, program, and uh, and we were also working on novels, and then it turned out that our our my poetry writers and people whose novels we wanted to do were getting not very well treated at the company. So the parting of the ways had to occur. By that time, Dennis wasn't in it any longer either. And what ultimately then happened was that the person who really owned it was Ann Wall. She had the money in it. And her husband, Byron Wall, decided that it shouldn't publish poetry or fiction anymore. It should publish nothing but chess books.
1: Yeah, that's what he wanted.
2: <laughs> so then they got divorced and she went over to England and married an older... An gentleman. earl or something. Yeah, Jack's daughter acquired it and then and then he died and young Jack took over and then it was all going to go screaming down the plug hole because he invested too much money in a warehouse.
0: Um, my sense is that Graham feels a little more um, tenderly or nostalgically about or uh, about the period than you do.
2: No, I think it's because I was getting attacked so much. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, so Farley said in 72, now you're a target and people are going to shoot at you. And that happened. So, um, yeah, I don't have... I I think it was somewhat different being a female person in that milieu. The 60s had been a very, the 50s and 60s had been a very male writing period and to suddenly appear as a still alive young female person. And this isn't about the publishers, I never had any problems with them, Um, but it is about, you know, people, journalists, people interviewing you for the radio, that, that sort of feeling that, you're, um, that you really shouldn't be doing this and that there must be something very bizarre, weird and abnormal about you. And, and you can see it in the interviews with Gwen as well. Uh, she is the only, but the only person of my age um, in the 60s who was a female poet of any uh, visibility. Um, then in the 70s, of course, a lot of, there, there had been Margaret Lawrence and and Marion Engel, but then in the 70s, quite a few people became, um, Alice, for instance, published her first book in 69, and further into the 70s, you actually got male writers complaining that they were having trouble getting their books published, because nobody wanted books by men and, at that moment, so uh, it, it was kind of like a perfect storm, and... For a while there, I just felt I was, you know, every time you turned around, somebody was attacking you for something. And that's both from the right and the left. And that happened with uh, survival as well. So on one side, you have people saying, why, are, why did 300 perfectly good pieces of paper get covered with this stupid writing about something that doesn't exist, namely Canadian literature? And on the other hand, why isn't there more about worker poets
1: but, but there, was, there was a lot of energy.
0: There was a great deal of energy. It really was a remarkable time. You've been listening to authors Graham Gibson and Margaret Atwood remembering the founding years of the House of Anansi Press, Toronto, and the Canadian literary scene of the time, with a couple of handy interjections by Anansi's present publisher, Sarah McLaughlin. Graham Gibson's novel Five Legs, and Margaret Atwood's books Survival, The Circle Game, and Moving Targets. Mark Satin's Manual for Draft Age Immigrants to Canada and Harold Sonny Ledoux's No Pain Like This Body are all available in striking editions in the House of Anansi A-List. You can access these and other episodes of 128 Sterling at www.houseofanansi.com. This episode of 128 Sterling was produced by Mihira Lakshman and Nick Parker and was written and presented by me, Noah Richler. We and the house dedicate it to the memory of Graham Gibson. Thanks for listening. <laughs>